Hello and welcome to another episode of Right Care Baptist. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. And I'm Amanda Comer. I'm a nurse practitioner and the system director for advanced practice providers. And today we're very excited to have Leah and Megan on to talk about intensive dietary management in a pilot that we're looking to do at Baptist. Leah and Megan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on today. Leah, can you just remind uh, the audience of your role within the system? Sure. My name is Leah Lansky, and I'm the System Director of Wellbeing. And we run a program at Baptist called Best Health. And uh, one of the goals of our program is to keep our employees, um, our team members, um, healthy um, so that they can take care of the patients. So we are we are really excited to um, talk to you today about um, this new pilot program that we are bringing um, to Baptist in January. Thanks so much. And Megan, can you give the audience a little bit of your background? Yes, I'm a clinical researcher and health educator. I co-founded Intensive Dietary Management with my partner, Dr. Jason Fung, who's a Canadian nephrologist. We have a product called the Fasting Method, and it's our mission to help as many people as possible reverse type 2 diabetes and achieve sustainable weight loss by targeting the root cause of metabolic weight gain and metabolic disease, which is insulin resistance. So that's what our methods target. Uh, and I am a successful uh, member of the program ourself. I was patient zero uh, after being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at the age of 27. Wow. Okay. Well, let's just jump right into it. So tell me, what does intensive dietary management mean? Well, it is a therapeutic strategy, really looking to target the root cause of disease. And that's why we chose this specific language. And we encourage people to think of this as a treatment for their diabetes and not just another diet that you see splashed across the cover of magazines with uh, fancy names. And it is different than the other diets. Most of the other diets you see out there, all the traditional ones, they look at uh, calories in versus calories out. Reduce how much you're consuming and increase how much you're outputting. And they just have different names and use different systems. So some of them might straight out just track calories. Some of them might use points that add up to some sort of caloric number. Um, some might be focused on certain food types or exclude other food types, but the underlying commonality amongst them all is that they're all based on this principle of calorie restriction. And that doesn't actually really treat the root cause of the conditions that we're looking to to tackle diabetes, um, obesity around the weight, always uh, uh, with the obesity, carrying that extra weight around our waist. So we want to tackle the root cause of the conditions. So we don't want people to come into our program, our community, thinking that, oh, hey, this is just another diet that I'm going to try for three months, get limited success, and not be able to sustain it in the long run and regain all the weight, you know, within three to six months afterwards. It's a therapeutic plan, and that's really sort of the, the mindset behind selecting our brand name. No, that makes perfect sense. And when we had Jason on earlier in the year, you know, it was one of our more popular episodes. Um, we had a lot of people listen to it. And, I, you know, I've read his book and and tried a little bit uh, without actually following probably exactly what y'all are doing. And we'll get to that in just a second. But, you know, certainly saw some results with um, 
some of the ideas that that he gave us. But I wanted to dive into how y'all go about bringing patients in to your clinic and advising them on this method. Is is it a one size fits all? Do you um, tailor your approach based on each individual patient? Um, are there different protocols you use depending on the clinical situation, or or how does the you know, how does the anatomy of y'all's clinic actually work? Yeah, so we have actually, we've served over 20,000 people worldwide to date over the last decade. So there are some standardized protocols that do apply to the general population, um, but it still can be very personalized even within those sort of standardized protocols, say for a postmenopausal woman looking to lose weight or a reverser type two diabetes. Um, so we generally start everybody off by asking them to go back to the basics, you know, how our grandparents and great grandparents ate while growing up. When I first started fasting for my type two diabetes reversal, everybody thought I was doing something crazy, but my grandmother, and when I was having conversations with her, she said, you know, we ate three meals a day and that was it. I was lucky if I went to school with an apple. I didn't go to school with eight treats to sustain me throughout the day. You know, when I came home from school, I had to wait. I wasn't allowed to snack. I had to save my appetite for dinner. And if I was hungry after dinner, well, too bad. I needed to eat more broccoli uh, and I'll know better for next time. And you know, this is how we ate. We did these fasts you know, from dinner to breakfast every day, we didn't have these snack foods. And when my grandmother reflected, she said, hey, you know, it wasn't until we started having these snack foods in the house and started changing our diets that we started to gain weight and started to develop disease within this family. And that's what we really encourage people to do at the start. So if someone's brand new to fasting and what we're gonna be working with in your community too, is just getting back to these basic principles, three meals a day, not snacking, meals usually to be had in a designated eating spot, not at the desk while you're multitasking with 10 <laughs> different things, not on the couch. You know, we want the couch to be for relaxation in the evening, not for having meals, but getting back to the table, getting back to, you know, sitting outside, enjoying fresh air and having these meals. And in between those meals, you know, leveraging certain um, fluids like water, flat, mineral, carbonated, having some bone broth, having some herbal teas or green teas, having coffee, uh, and being able to consume these things during uh, those spaces in between meals. And then from there, we start to gradually eliminate meals. Most individuals that we serve are type two diabetics, and they'll notice that they have these elevated blood sugar levels in the morning, and they're not very hungry. So we'll encourage them to start to eliminate breakfast and just eat lunch and dinner. But in the morning time, they could have a cup of broth if they'd like. They could have some tea or have some coffee. Uh, so it's not you know, doing sort of a, a medical fast that you would before a blood test or before a surgical procedure. You can have these fluids. You can use them as uh, meal supplements for that breakfast meal. And then we see how the individual is doing. Are they reaching their goals? Does it fit into their lifestyle? And we might adjust from, from there. So with a lot of individuals who are just looking to tackle pre-diabetes, um, borderline diabetes, or looking to lose a bit of weight, you know, that freshman 15 that still hasn't come off, you know, 15 years later, <laughs> um, we will then, you know, 
we, or we usually find that between 16 and 24 hours of fasting done daily or a couple days a week is really enough to help them reach their health goals. And most people find that they get really comfortable just eating twice a day, if that's their goal and having breakfast or having lunch and dinner. Some individuals with type 2 diabetes who are on medication and have more of a longer standing history of metabolic syndrome, they might find that they need to do some what we call our therapeutic protocols for about a six month period. And in doing so, most often they come off of all of their diabetic medications. And these are where we'd ask individuals three times a week to fast for 24 to 36 hours. So a 24 hour fast would be say from dinner last night until dinner tonight, so you're skipping breakfast and lunch. A 36-hour fast, uh, the math of it sounds a little confusing when you think about a clock, Um, but it's really just a full day of fasting. So you would fast from dinner last night until breakfast tomorrow. So today would be a fasting day where I just consume the water, the tea, the coffee, the broth if I need it throughout the day. These are excellent strategies. So I've recently heard the term um, time restrictive eating. Is that the same as intermittent fasting? So and not necessarily. Time restrictive eating is usually um, defined as fasts that are uh, 12, 14, 16, and 18 hours in duration. And intermittent fasting is typically 24 hours of fast. 36 hours of fast. Some people do 48 hours a couple times a week. Uh, those intermittent fasting approaches are very therapeutic. They're used to treat disease, used to help with the, doing them occasionally can help with some de- disease prevention, but they're intended to be done for approximately six months and then people start to scale back on their fast. Uh, so it's a time-restricted eating that's good to help lose a little bit of weight, just improve those blood sugar levels a bit and be able to maintain good health, but it doesn't necessarily fix damaged metabolic health. So we tend to lean into the therapeutic protocols more so to do that. When we're doing uh, time-restricted eating, we are giving ourselves a six to eight hour window roughly on average on the more popular 16 or 18 protocols to finish digesting the meal that we've had or finish utilizing the fuel from the meal that we previously had. Once you start to get into some of the longer fasts, you do have a nervous system response. And this kind of distinguishes the difference between time-restricted eating and the therapeutic fasting protocols. So when we go for about 24 hours of fasting, we've depleted now our um, meal energy reserves. We've now tackled our glycogen stores so that easily accessible fuel that's stored in our liver and our muscles. And that's when we've got to start liberating body fat to provide ourselves with fuel. And in order to do that, we activate our sympathetic nervous system, which is that flight or fight nervous system. Most people get a little anxious when they think of that because they think, oh, that's a stress response. But there's a certain degree of stress that actually helps us really thrive and become resilient as a species. Too much stress is detrimental. Not enough stress is detrimental. So it's about finding a balance. Kind of like when you want to go into the gym and you want to you know, get really strong biceps. If you walk in on day one and try to lift a 100-pound dumbbell, well, you're going to fall over and injure yourself. But if you lift a one-pound dumbbell, you're probably not going to do those little micro tears and stress the muscle and make it grow. It's about finding somewhere in between that you feel a little bit of stress and can do, you know, feel the burn after about six to 10 reps, but you're not falling over injuring yourself. So that's what we call a good level of stress that will result in muscle growth. 
So it's about finding that good level of stress with fasting. So many of us are overnourished in the sense that we've got a lot of extra fuel stored in our fat cells. So having this fasting stress, when we have this excess nourishment in our system, it's a safe stress. It is a healthy stress, one that can help us become resilient. Um, so the stress nervous system response is actually one of the things that distinguishes fasting from time-restricted eating. And we produce these magical counter-regulatory hormones when we are experiencing this fasting state as a result that help us burn body fat, maintain our resting metabolic rate, and we produce human growth hormone when we're fasting. Now, we don't grow. I, I think sometimes people have images of our bodies expanding into the Hulk um, when we're fasting, um, but that's not the case. But we do produce human growth hormone. So when we begin to refeed again, we've got the growth hormone, insulin, amino acids from that meal, and we're able to maintain our lean muscle mass very nicely during the fast. So that's the biggest difference between time-restricted eating and, and intermittent fasting or virtually any other dietary protocol and intermittent fasting. No, thank you. That's really helpful. I know there's often a lot of questions about the difference between those two. Um, you know, and I, and I think when we had Jason on before, he talked about one of the reasons fasting is successful is because the spikes in insulin that you get after each meal or snack or, you know, that extra Diet Coke or Coke causes you to store body fat and just eliminating those, getting back to three meals a day or fasting brings those insulin levels low which you know prevents that storage of body fat and helps reverse it. And you know you mentioned earlier that this is not you know like other diets uh, quote unquote that are out there where you try for three months and then go back to what you were doing. Um, now I, I can imagine somebody trying this for three months and then going back to you know getting the good results and then regressing and going back to their regular lifestyle. Um, how does your clinic prevent that that relapse? How do you bake this in into normal routine? Yeah, so that's a really great question. It's people want to feel good. And I think there's so much in the medical profession um, that underestimates that desire to feel good. We're working with a population that maybe for their entire lives never felt great. I went to the doctor at nine for the first time complaining of symptoms of hypothyroidism. Um, you know, I ate a processed and refined diet where, you know, fast food was considered healthy food for kids uh, when I was growing up. Um, so there's people like me that, you know, never really have experienced this great health and you give them a taste of it and they want more. So, you know, when people are fasting, they experience such great results. They're losing weight. They're seeing their blood sugar levels improve. But instead of feeling awful like they do on other strategies, they notice increased energy, better sleep, better you know, cognitive function, better focus. And they're getting all of this time back. We spend so much time eating, preparing food, finding food. You know, uh, our whole lives is it, quite wild. And they get this time back for themselves in such a day and age where everybody's busy and running around with uh, their heads chopped off. And it's so hard for them to imagine going back to a lifestyle um, where they just ate all day long. We once had this young physician who was shadowing us in the clinic and, and he came in for two weeks and then it had been about a month. And then he showed up out of thin air one day and he said to me, Megan, last night I went to a dinner party and I just turned down food because I wasn't hungry. I wasn't trying to fast. And he said, I'm 33 years old and I have never turned down food. <laughs> 
but I, I had control over my appetite. And he was someone who realized he never really had control. And that was really cool and inspiring. So we find just helping to get people to feeling good inspires them to want to continue to feel good. And also at our program, we do work on a lot of mindset and healthy habit strategies, too, which I really think separates us from a lot of other individuals in the space. Um, we have this incredible psychologist on our team, Dr. Terry Lance, and she has walk the walk. Uh, she's lost over 150 pounds. She's reversed her type 2 diabetes, and uh, she she knows what it's like firsthand. So we really help address a lot of the emotional eating, self-sabotage issues that can often um, rear their heads again as certain life events happen. We saw this with COVID uh, at the onset of COVID. You know, people that have been thriving uh, and their lifestyle for, for a year or longer, suddenly have everything turned upside down, um, not working, stuck at home, you know, changing their work environment to home, the kitchen's 10 steps away at all times, everybody's at home, um, and, and just stress uh, and uncertainty about the future. And so a lot of the mindset, self-sabotage, emotional eating, you know, being your own personal self-coach in those moments, and then, of course, seeking out community support. There's recently a study published where individuals who are interested in having healthier lifestyles um, were asked if they thought that the, the 10 closest people to them in their social circles, whether it be family or friends or colleagues, uh, if they would help uh, them achieve those goals or hinder them. And over 95% of them reported back that they did not think those people that they had the most interaction with on a physical basis, on a daily basis, um, would th that they would actually hinder their goals. Um, so having a community is, is just so important. Uh, in hindsight, you know, I reached my 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 target biomarkers, uh, and then we started a clinic. And I had this incredible community of patients that supported me, and I didn't realize it at the time. But if it wasn't for them, I think it would have made it a little bit more challenging. But every day I had interactions with these incredible people with the same goals and lifestyle. So I, you know, I've been able to keep my regular community that I've had, my friends from, from college and high school and um, my family members, but I've been able to get this additional lifestyle support through my new community. So I think that's really important for helping people to maintain in the long run. Megan, you shared your journey and your diagnosis of diabetes and, and your steps to, to reverse that. You know, when I think about fasting and the fasting method, I may have caution for a diagnosis of individuals with diabetes. So who is um, the fasting method for? Yes, so we're, we're really for any adult who is looking to improve their metabolic health with metabolic markers that are outside of the normal range. So uh, obesity, um, people with waist circumferences that are larger than half their height in, in inches and would like to optimize their health, individuals with fatty liver disease, Polycystic ovary syndrome is essentially just diabetes of the ovaries is one way to put it into perspective for so many. Um, and it doesn't need to be that way. We have one physician, a naturopathic doctor on our team, we call her the baby whisperer. She seems to get everybody pregnant in six months. 
<laughs> but but it's you know it's uh, it's something that can be be treatable. Uh, and then we work with individuals with ranging uh, degrees of blood sugar issues. From um, I'm, I've gained extra weight and I have this family history of type two diabetes and I don't want to have that. You know, so let's get the weight under control. To having a, a diagnosis of pre-diabetes. Um, with the hemoglobin A1C, sort of over that 5.6, 5.8%, uh, and then and up more elevated after that. Thank you. That's very helpful. Um, and Leah, uh, we haven't forgot about you. We're going to start talking mm -hmm. about the, the pilot at Baptist in just a second. But we, we recently had you on, I think, to talk about exercise is medicine and that uh, program that we also have. And my question for Megan is, how do you counsel patients um, that like to exercise on a daily basis or, or several times a week to balance fasting with exercise? Is it, I mean, do they fast and then go run 10 miles? How, how does, how would that work? Well, when you're doing more sort of the running or cardio sports, it's not the best thing to do on a fasting day. So to save those for eating days. So when someone is new to fasting, there's a lot that's going to be changing within their body, uh, assuming that they have that excess weight and have some metabolic disorder, their insulin levels are going to be higher. And when you start fasting, those come down. Insulin causes the body to retain water. So when our insulin levels go down, a message is sent to our kidneys to release that excess water. We don't need it. The insulin's gone. And in that water loss, we do lose some electrolytes. So for the first six to eight weeks that someone's new to fasting, enjoy um, walking, even brisk walking, yoga, Pilates, focusing a lot on mobility work on your fasting days, and then on your eating days, doing your regular activity. Usually after those first six to eight weeks, our systems have sort of acclimated to being in a fasted state. We're not seeing these huge sudden drops in insulin levels. Our hydration tends to be a little bit more stable, but we're also a lot better at sourcing energy from our fat cells and fat stores rather than just being dependent on the food that we're eating to fuel us. And most individuals find at that point in time, they can resume some regular training. So I wouldn't prepare for a marathon in a fasted state, but I'll do some like weight training or participate at my local, you know, 45 or 60 minute um, fitness class that I enjoy during that time as well. Thank you. Um, so we learned a lot of great things from Megan. Now let's go back to Leah. Can you, what can you tell us about the pilot that we're planning for Baptist? Sure. So we uh, recently received a, a grant from our um, very own Baptist Foundation in order to to um, partner with the fasting method and, and Megan's team. And we're so excited. Um, we have uh, two of us going through um, really, really um, rigorous training for 10 weeks. Um, myself um, and Shannon Willoughby, who is a well-being specialist that has a master's in nutrition. And we are um, in conjunction with uh, Megan putting together a 12-week program um, to start in January. For those folks that um, maybe have a BMI that's over 30 and are pre-diabetic, uh, we um, will risk stratify to find our participants um, after the biometric screening season is over, which is very soon. Um, and so we'll, we'll send them an invite to see if this is something maybe they're interested in. 
Um, what we, we have planned um, is to do this first in the Memphis um, metro area where we, um, because we do want to have live classes, um, we feel like we'll develop a better rapport um, with our um, participants. So they would meet once a week. Um, and then partnering with the fasting method, um, we'll, they're going to have a choice of 35 different Zoom classes that they can take as many as they want um, over a week, 35 you know, available in one week. So every week for um, for the duration of our program, they can pick classes such as um, menopause. Um, they can pick a class called carnivore. They can pick a um, just a community class where there's discussions. Uh, they can um, uh, one that I um, have attended was just a, a class on nutrition one on one. Um, so there's just so many different varieties to to suit each each individual um, individual needs. Um, there's also going to be um, testing. We're going to test pre um, six weeks, 12 weeks, and we're actually going to do a follow up at 24 weeks. And during that testing, we're going to test um, their waist circumference, their weight, of course. Um, but we're also going to do the in-body testing where we can see their um, body fat um, percentage and we can see their lean body mass and see how that changes over the course of, of time. We're going to also do blood pressure and um, a lipid panel and, of course, glucose and A1C, uh, maybe a couple other um, blood blood tests, but that's um, pretty much the um, the majority of it. And so uh, we'll we'll plan that um, right before they start. We're going to start in January um, because um, that is a great time when everybody is is very um, gung ho, ready to ready to go and, and make a difference themselves. No, yeah, I was thinking about, you know, this first of the year, certainly a, a good time to start this, but also, you know, we're moving up into the holiday season. And there's this article I read several years back about, um, you know, treating the holidays as almost like a, a vacation that you have to save for. So starting to, you know, think about fasting leading up to the holidays as opposed to doing it afterwards and, and feeling like you lose all that weight, but you save up you know, for the, that those extra calories and extra uh, indulgences that we do along the holidays by fasting uh, in, in the late fall. So I, I thought that was a, a great thing um, as part of that article. But no, I'm very excited about the, the pilot. I think it'll and look forward to seeing those results. So encourage everybody to participate. Thank you. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've done fasting um, before and I just have felt an incredible energy. It's a different kind of energy that, you know, you may not have felt since you were a, a child um, when you do it. And it just you feel youthful. And I think this is very different um, than the other way of, of, of eating because it takes into two factors. One is the, the timing, the feeding and the fasting. Um, so you, you, that's one thing. And then the other is, um, you know, the types of food that you are eating. So, um, instead of just kind of, um, you know, looking at what you eat, it's when you eat as well. Yeah, I've also participated as well. And, you know, I like to do it on Mondays after especially, you know, bad weekend of, you know, I, I tend to cheat all weekend and, um, you know, coming up on Monday makes it very easy to uh, repay those debts, so to speak. Um, so thanks again, Leah and Megan, for, for joining the, the podcast. Are, are there any 
you know, final thoughts or, or words you want to leave with our medical staff? I think the simplest thing for individuals is uh, to cut out snacking, and it has the most potent long-term health benefits. Even if we just stop snacking, it would have really great health outcomes. They, they don't happen overnight. You won't see them as dramatically over the course of a week or two if someone is doing longer fasts, but an individual is sure going to end the year a lot healthier. Uh, by just cutting out the snacks. So if you are nervous about fasting, uh, fasting your patients, if you're nervous about blood sugar levels, medication, how they're going to handle it outside of the clinic, not able to follow up with them every week if they're doing something intensive, just educating them on limiting the number of insulin spikes throughout the day, going back to those basics. It's not about eating less. You know, eat those almonds that you have at 3 p.m. at lunchtime or eat them at dinner time, um, but just keep it in those meal windows. And going back to how our great-grandparents grew up, and your patients are going to see such incredible improvements. So if there was one wish I had is everyone would cut out the snacking, and I think we would see metabolic health rates improve across the nation. No, I think that's great advice, and they'll also see, you know, improvement in their, their uh, financial health without having to pay for those extra <laughs> snacks. So it's a win-win. Well, thank you again, and, and thank you, everybody, for listening to Right Care at Baptist. Remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, you can rename this episode for CME Credit.